Our text then will be found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and at verse 35. Luke chapter 1, at verse 35. We have the angel's response to Mary's question. How shall this be? How can I possibly conceive? Mary knew the facts of life. How can I possibly conceive? I know not a man. And our text, verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And we rely upon the Lord to bless our meditation this morning. As a congregation and as a denomination, we do not follow what is called the, the Christian calendar. I have no problem with that. But sometimes, because we don't follow the Christian calendar, we maybe, don't, we maybe miss out and we don't highlight things that are in the Word of God ultimately for our edification. And sometimes we might be inclined to avoid the Christian calendar in order that we might stand out and be seen to be different. Well, I pondered about what we should meditate upon today. I'm sure the vast majority of Christian churches today will be focusing on the birth of the Lord Jesus. And we bless God for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there would be no birth if there was no incarnation. And what we're going to look at uh, this morning is the incarnation. And that's the title I want to give to our meditation. With all respect... There is nothing miraculous in the birth of the Lord Jesus. He was born, came into the world exactly the same way as you and I did. But his conception, the incarnation, was absolutely unique. And we again bless God for its uniqueness because this is the way it had to be in the great plan of redemption originated in eternity by the mind of the infinitely wise almighty God. This had to happen this way in order that we might <coughs> have a gospel to proclaim and that we might sit here in Partick on the 25th of December 2022 with a sure hope in the Lord Jesus Christ 
not just for time, but for all the ages of eternity. And part of that hope is found in the Incarnation. Matthew does not mention much about this. He mentions something, of course, but in his Gospel record, it talks in Matthew chapter 1, for instance, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. There we have the incarnation, simply stated, not elaborated. And it goes on further. Joseph was concerned about his espoused bride-to-be. Here she was with child. And he likewise knew the facts of life. And it would seem obvious then that she had taken part in fornication. Joseph was concerned. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. That was enough for Joseph. And it must have been difficult, not just for Mary, but for Joseph also, to have this. And he would say, if people would ask, what would he say? Can you imagine trying to explain to, to family and to friends? She has been conceived by the Holy Ghost. You can just imagine how difficult would, it would be. But Joseph was a righteous man. And he believed the revelation. John doesn't say much about it either. In his beginning of the gospel, he goes back to eternity. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And then in John chapter 1 verse 14, And the word was made flesh. The word, the logos, was made flesh. What a miracle. What a wonder. And therefore, surely it's worthy of our consideration this morning for a brief time. Our catechism mentions this. And we love to quote the catechism and we wish we knew it better. Who is the Redeemer of God's elect? Who is the one who has come to save God's people? Well, it tells us the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was, and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Mysterious, wonderful, the Son of God became the Son of Man. How did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul. 
being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her yet without sin. There are things that stand out from the incarnation. And what are these things? Well, they are the fact that the eternally begotten Son of God became the Son of Man, a truly stupendous miracle that we cannot grasp or we cannot fully grasp is maybe a more accurate thing to say, but we believe it. Why do we believe it? We believe it because it has been revealed to us. And more than that, we believe it because this is the way it had to be, as we shall see as we seek to proceed this morning. Well, I have three brief things that I wish to highlight concerning the Incarnation. First, I've already hinted at, it is the mystery. The mystery. Very often, many of us want to know everything. Well, God will not tell us everything. And even in eternity, the likelihood is we will, will, we know certainly we will not know everything. Because if we knew everything, we would be God. So therefore we know that in eternity, we will not know everything. But it may also be true that we will not know everything that has been revealed to us. We'll not know all the details. It could well be that if we did know the details, we could never comprehend them, even in eternity. And therefore, we approach this subject and we notice it is mysterious. Mysterious. Paul tells Timothy, and without controversy, there's no doubt about this. No doubt, there's no controversy about this issue. Great is the mystery of godliness. And he goes on, God was manifest in the flesh. That's the mystery of godliness. This is what Christianity is all about. It's about the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. The great God from all eternity, the Son of God, the creator of heaven, the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the one who gives life, the one who upholds life and preserves life, that one, the Word of God, the Son of God, became just like us, sin only accepted. Do you think we can understand this? Oh, it's not wrong to try to grasp it better and to have a clearer understanding of it. But do you think we'll ever fully understand it? No. Because it is mysterious. But even if we were to look at 
natural generation. And we're not going to get a facts of life sermon here, but if we consider natural generation, we don't know how this all comes about. We don't know. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 5 this is what it says as thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all this is to humble us friends we know modern man, with all his advancements, with all his technology, with all his vast learning, there are great, vast tracks of ignorance regarding even the basics of human life. Do you think, therefore, that the incarnation is something that any minister or any theologian can unravel David talking about the natural again in the psalm Psalm 139 that wonderful psalm about the providence of God I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made marvellous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Now we do believe that applies to every single human being. But it may apply particularly to the Son of God in the incarnation. We cannot tell. But it certainly applies to you and I, when we were in the womb of our mother, curiously wrought, marvellous are thy works. My substance was not hid from thee, God saw. And man, with all his technology, he can see so much, but there's much he cannot see. Hebrews tells us that the Holy Spirit made a body for the Son of God. A perfect body for the Son of God. Truly a marvel. And we must hold on to this. We are not to listen to the cults. And the cults are very, very sly and sneaky we just had a visit from the Jehovah Witnesses recently they talk about the Lord Jesus Christ now we know their doctrine changes it has to change but basically one of the things they believe is yes Jesus the Son of God is God or is our God. And that might sound, well, that's acceptable to us. But it's not. Because the Bible teaches 
something different. It teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was always God. And when he became a man, he became the God-man. Our Savior is God in the flesh. Their Savior is one who became a God. Our Savior is God who became a man. Their Savior is a man who became a God. Now we have to discern. And you could go through various cults. And they all stumble on this point. They may well stumble on other points. But the Christian believes. Because the word of God tells us. That our saviour is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the son of God. Who became the son of man. He is God who has become a man. The God man. And he came in the flesh. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Is of God. This is what we believe. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. He suffered in the flesh. He took our flesh, our nature. And suffered in that nature. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 21 and 22. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. The God man suffered in our room and in our place. And possibly... One of the most staggering verses in the whole of the Bible. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. Paul says, For in him, that is Christ, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In the manger, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt and the baby there at the conception the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him this is beyond us but this is the great saviour that has come to save for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and that's why Paul then goes on to tell the Colossians Ye are complete in him. And Christian, you are complete in him. You know there are Christians, professing Christians, who will come along to us and they'll tell us things like, you need to be baptized in the Spirit. You need to speak in tongues. You need to perform miracles. 
to be real Christians. You need something else. Christian, you need nothing else but Christ. Why? Because you are complete in Him. And if you have Him, you have everything. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Well, briefly, that is the mystery. And this mystery is to cause us to humble ourselves before Almighty God. Secondly, we have the fulfillment. What we have here is something that was prophesied. And this is, this is to encourage us that as we take up our Bibles, as we read our Bibles, as we go into the Old Testament, as we see the things that have been written there in the Old Testament for us, and as we see these things bearing fruit and being fulfilled, it is further to convince us and to encourage us that here we have the infallible Word of God and we can rest our lives upon the Word of God and not one word of the Lord shall fall to the ground. Everything shall be fulfilled. And many of the messianic prophecies have indeed been fulfilled, literally. And yet there are some that are yet to be fulfilled. And because many have been fulfilled, we by faith believe that those who are yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. And this incarnation is something that was prophesied. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that prophecy was given in times of turmoil. To the people of God. And the king at that time didn't want a sign. But God was going to give them a sign. And it was going to take them into the time of the Messiah. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. What do we find? This is what happened. And is the whole of the, of the fulfillment not encased or surrounded in humility? This is what we find here. Who was Mary? Well, Mary was a gracious young girl. She was obviously a believer. She was obviously one who had the favor of the Lord upon her. But as far as the world was concerned, Mary would be a nobody. She would have been around 13 to 18 years old. And the angel Gabriel comes from heaven and speaks to this teenager who lived in a place called Nazareth, a place that has never been heard of in the Old Testament. A population, some estimate, around 400 or 500 persons. 
a nobody place. And a place that in New Testament times didn't have a great reputation. And here was a, a nobody girl, a, pe- a, a peasant, a poor girl. And the Lord showed her favor. And the Lord was going to use her that she might be the bearer of the Son of God. And that through her, the Savior was going to be born. And that Savior that brings great hope, not only to the world then, but to the world now, and to the world until it ends. We will delight in what God has done. And we've already mentioned at the beginning about how Joseph would have reacted and how it would have looked in the community. But how would it have looked for Mary? We know fornication is rampant today. But it wasn't rampant in Mary's day. It would have been a disgrace. It would have brought shame upon Mary and upon her family. Not just an immediate family, but our, our wide and extended family. They would all share in the disgrace. Although it was rarely practiced, yet the law of God said that she could be stoned to death. Yet, when the angel speaks to her, and when she gets the word from the angel, she is submissive. And the incarnation is fulfilled. It is therefore to encourage us. We live in unbelieving times, strange times, difficult times. Yet the times that God would have us live in. We believe in a sovereign God. We believe he orders and directs all things. Your life is not an accident. You are here, the 25th of December 2022, because ultimately it is the will of God that you should be here, and you're living your life in these difficult days because God has willed it, and therefore we are to take comfort. God's word shall be fulfilled, strange as it may be to us. His word shall be fulfilled. And here we have this prophecy that was given to the church 600 years before it was fulfilled. God is in no hurry. One day is but a thousand years, and a thousand years are but one day to God. Let us therefore be be assured that all that he has promised shall be fulfilled. Thirdly, briefly, we have the necessity. The necessity. God does nothing haphazard. This had to happen. In order that we would have a gospel to proclaim, it had to happen. 
The Son of God had to become like us. Why? Man sinned. And in order for mankind to be redeemed and saved, man had to pay the penalty. What is the penalty for sin? The wages of sin is death. Not just physical death. Not just spiritual death, but eternal death. To be eternally separated from the gracious presence of God forever. That's what sin deserves. That's what was required. Someone had to pay that price. Either man paid it or a substitute did. Jesus Christ did. He suffered. He lived a perfect life. Our catechism tells us he was born without sin. He couldn't sin. It was impossible for him. This is interesting. If you remember anything, remember this. The short statement, sentence. Adam was able not to sin, but Christ was not able to sin. There's not much difference as far as words are concerned. Adam was not, well, Adam was able not to sin. He was created perfect. He had free will. He had a choice. He had the power not to sin. But Christ was not able to sin. Christ couldn't sin. There's a difference. You may have to think about it. You may have to write it out to see the difference. The four words that I'm quoting, able not to sin and not able to sin, the same words but a different order. And they are a world of difference. Adam was able not to sin. Our first father created holy in the image of God and perfect, yet he sinned. But Christ was not able to sin. Why? Because of his divine nature. He is a divine person. It's not accurate to call him a human being. That's not true. He is a man, certainly, but he's a divine person. He has two natures. He has a divine nature and a human nature. And because of his divine nature, he couldn't possibly sin. And we might think this doesn't matter to us, but it does. It most certainly does. 
Because when he was tempted of the devil, yes, he was truly tempted, but he couldn't sin. And therefore he was able to live a perfect life. And we know that there would have been other occasions when he was tempted of the evil one. But he could not sin. And this is what we call the impeccability of Christ. And this is something that we grasp onto. This is our hope that our Savior offered up himself a perfect sacrifice. On Calvary's tree. It was so necessary that he offered up a perfect sacrifice. Otherwise he could never save himself or you or me or anyone else. And it would not be enough if he came as a perfect man. Why not? Well, a perfect man came before. Adam was perfect. And when tempted, he fell. But the God-man could not sin. There's our hope. We're looking to that one who did not succumb to temptation. And when he was suffering... He was able to endure the pains of hell like we could never do. That's why it was necessary that God would come in the flesh. Now maybe you're here and maybe you're thinking Well, I hope you are thinking. You're looking at Christ on the cross. You're seeing him there. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you know he is suffering. The Savior is suffering in the room and in the place of sinners. But it's just one person. Here the God-man is suffering. How can the God-man, how can he bring about the salvation of countless millions? Because he is an infinite person and therefore his work is of infinite value. There's something to ponder this afternoon. This one person, this infinite person who suffered the pains of hell He didn't go to hell, but he suffered the pains of hell. And because of what he did, he is able to save all those that will come to him. Because his obedience and sacrifice are of infinite value. There's the necessity. What's our reaction? Well, it should be one of worship, adoration. How shall we escape 
if we neglect so great salvation? How will we escape if we turn our backs upon this great, glorious, divine Savior? The short answer is, we will not. We cannot. We are to come to him then. Come to him even now, today. This is the day of grace. And Christian, you are to delight in this person. It is mysterious. But then, if we think we're going to understand everything, we'll be sadly mistaken. We bless God that the prophecy has been fulfilled. And we thank God that Christ has done what no one else could possibly do. The incarnation then of the Son of God who became the Son of Man. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray together.